Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror. This is a podcast where every week we pick one film and delve into the messaging and subtext and ideology and other meanings and interpretations that are not, that are often deeper than the more standard critique and commentary on things like acting and how entertaining it was and that sort of thing. My name is Marshall Smith. We do this with horror films in particular because they are, we think anyway, they are better suited to that sort of analysis and critique than other genres, generally speaking. Yeah, social impact, right? We look at the social impact of the films and also how they mirror what's going on in society and how they can shine a shine a light, I guess, on what we're afraid of and what are the prevalent arguments that are floating around the society that we live in. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And yeah, horror has a, a unique ability to really carry the emotional weight of some really heavy, dark ideological arguments. And I love it when it does that well. Which was not really the case in this film. <laughs> but, but I still it, love it when it does it well. Yeah, this is such an odd film. We watched Wes Craven's 1991 film, The People Under the Stairs, which has always has always been a had a mixed reaction from folks. I think there is a following for it. it, it it's it's a film we tried to revisit. We just I don't think this is really part of that, but we just finished a mini series. You can look back at our episode list that were a mini series on films that were haunting possession house kind of films, conjuring and insidious and poltergeist and possession. And this is also a house evil kind of film, but it's a very different one. The film is very different than than really just about anything in the genre still to this day. So if you haven't seen it, we will spoil this film. You should absolutely go watch it beforehand. Again, Wes Craven's 1991 film, The People Under the Stairs, the synopsis adapted from the one on IMDb is two adults and a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister and horror ensues. We spoiled... I spoiled something else. Candyman, which you shouldn't let me spoil. I mean, I, yeah, it wasn't like a total, I did. I said kind of what happened at the end, but yeah, it's a spoiler. Damn. I think that's really all. I guess there were some spoilers, some minor spoilers for Insidious and Conjuring. Yeah, yeah minor. Not, yeah. I wouldn't say much. Right. But we like to try and give you notice so you can 
you can avoid that or you can uh, experience the film without uh, as as the creators intended without that spoiler knowledge if you like and uh, we try and respect that you can find our entire catalog of episodes for free on our website collectivenightmares.com please subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes or whatever your podcast app is we're not asking you to pay for anything but a review or a like or a subscribe or even just telling someone else you know that or you like what we do is very much appreciated you can find us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares uh, message us or watch for new episodes and that kind of thing there new episodes pretty much every Thursday we appreciate you listening and our podcast is better than burning in hell <laughs> So, people under the stairs. <laughs> uh, that was a good choice. I was really glad that you suggested it. I don't know why I've never seen it. You've never seen it? No. What year was it? Never? It was, no, huh? Which, I mean, I've heard of it. Like, it's such a, I know it's a classic movie, but no, I'd never seen it. 91. 91, indeed. 91. So, where was that in the trajectory of Wes Craven films? Would that have been before a new nightmare because <laughs> that was like 97 i think yeah no that would have been like Mary elm street 3 must have been late 80s oh new nightmare was 94 so good let's see um shocker some tv movie that i've never even considered watching and new nightmare Shocker is, well, I want to revisit all of this, but so yeah, I guess that's what it was. <laughs> Why do you ask? I, just because I've heard of it. Like, I know it's a classic film, but I had never seen it and I don't know why, but it was absolutely worth seeing. So I'm so glad that you suggested it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have watched it multiple times. I'm sure I haven't rewatched it in the last 20 years, but I remember it being a semi-regular watch at some point somebody asked me if it was good and i was like what did i say to them i said it isn't what i would call good exactly but it is an outlier for horror in a lot of ways that are good relative to the genre i think that's fairly accurate it had parts that were really good and it also had this really bizarre almost disney home alone kind of vibe going on Occasionally it was so unbelievable and the characters were so, I don't know. Yeah. Just unbelievable. And like, what's the word for a, a what am I thinking of? Like a, when the joke is just like a, a silly sort of like body thing that happens, what's that called? You know what I mean? Physical comedy. I don't know. Yeah. Like a, I don't know. It, it just like slapstick kind of, it, it was slapstick. just, it was just like really silly in some ways. And then in other ways, it, it had moments of real, of just really being great. I mean, there were some really dark moments too, where I thought this film has a ton of potential. And then there were other times where I had to just completely like suspend disbelief. Oh yeah. And I, I, I mean, I thought of you also, there was 20 minutes of unnecessary running around <laughs> or uh, one more chase or an additional extra twist somebody 
left, but they didn't, or stayed, but they left, or whatever. At oh, least yeah. 20 minutes. At least 20 minutes at, of that. At least 20 minutes, I swear, like three or four times in the film. Yeah. <laughs> like, it kept going back to them. And I was like, oh my gosh, again. Yeah. That, okay. So if we want to, if we want to sort of dig into the film, I feel like in terms of ideology, it was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. I mean, the issues that it was dealing with and how popular was Wes Craven at the time. I mean, he was pretty known, right? right? That was after the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Like that was I mean, it's after Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. He he's well established by then i was just gonna look runtime of 102 minutes which so they had room to cut it felt like they were padding the film to fill time you know and they really didn't need to but whatever maybe that's maybe we can blame the editor maybe not but yeah no Wes craven's well established he's done serpent in the rainbow i mean he was famous off of last house on the left and hills have eyes and just kept getting more famous. I think by then, I don't think Shocker was. I don't think Shocker was a a huge success, but I also don't think it was a, a total flop. So, and I, this TV movie, I have no idea. Let's actually look. Shocker is another of his that I have seen multiple times, but uh, relative to his other films, not a lot. Budget for Shocker was five million. It made four and a half opening weekend. Made sixteen. So they still he still tripled his money. So he's still, yeah. No, he was he was prominent. So I mean, to do a film that so overtly tackles racial and socioeconomic inequality is amazing, and to have done it in nineteen ninety one. I mean, I, I was watching this really thinking that like, I don't know. I mean. Get Out gets so much acclaim for doing what it did, but we're talking, you know, 20 years earlier, 30, oh God, 30, almost 30 years earlier. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, wait, did I do that right? That's That's really horrifying. (laughs) Solidly 25 years earlier when I was fully a human being who can remember things. That was, I mean, that, that was a huge accomplishment. So kudos to it for that. And having not seen it back then, you know, I, I don't remember like the what kind of acclaim it got or whatever, but I've, I've so heard of it. It's like, oh, people under the stairs. It's like one of those horror films. I don't know why I haven't seen it, but I haven't. So that's super impressive. Super yeah. impressive. I, I wanted it to get deeper than that. You know, it it, it started like the whole, I, was, I won't just say it started off strong. I mean, the whole film was the ideology of the film was just so clearly based around those types of inequality. And that was amazing. But I do think, like you were saying, they could have cut some. It didn't have a deep message. It had a clear message, but not a very deep message. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the message is deep. I think it was, mm, I'm trying to decide if I'm splitting hairs there or not. With regard to Get Out, I mean, Get Out is high concept, art house, execution. So taking nothing away from Get Out. But yes, this, this film is, I mean, the message of exploitation and insulation from inequality and privilege though i mean those are deep deep concepts that yeah i suppose it doesn't it doesn't necessarily delve into them in particularly nuanced ways but i don't know if i want to say that those are deep i don't know i don't know if i'm splitting hairs there or not laura but oh maybe i'll I'll restate it this way that the, like the chase scenes, for example, a lot of the content of the film didn't play into the ideology. 
So okay. what was actually happening in the film didn't matter for the message. The message was about racism. The message was about socioeconomic inequality, but the actual like runtime of the film for the most part was not used to make that argument. It was used. Yeah. It was filled up with a bunch of chase scenes and things that didn't really matter a whole lot in terms of the ideology. So I, I would like them to have dug into that a bit deeper, more deeply, but I mean, I guess we should start there, right? Should we just run through the messaging in the film and then see if we can, if we can piece anything else out. Sure. And I very much agree with you. It was, whereas get out is a very tightly coupled system. This was a very loosely coupled system. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that is very much. That is, I appreciate you restating that because, because that helped me, uh, that helped me understand what you were saying. And I totally agree. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's lay it out. Let's do the message. All right. So we've got, we've got clear messages about racial inequality and racism from this white family who's afraid of the black people moving into their neighborhood, who is afraid of black people who come onto their property. Right. And also then socioeconomically speaking, they're landlords who are exploiting people who don't have access to a lot of resources. And those are our villains. I mean, that's, that's spectacular for 1991. I feel like that is a, a standout, a standout designation for a villain in 1991. Absolutely. And that's where I, I guess I was thinking that there is some depth because it's, as we've covered in the last several podcasts, it's geographic. It's, you know, they, they have these moments of the one moment that really struck me with that was when they get out on the roof and it's like, Oh, wow. You can see the lights of the ghetto from here. So those scenes, those moments are, I think what keep the movie alive and keep it as a cult favorite. And, and even beyond the, like I said, the out or whatever I said there was, it's, it's such an outlier for the genre, but, but those moments were just like, but so it's it's the geography, it's race, but it's also like working people who come to the house end up thrown into the basement. So it's 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 class, not just oh poor black folks. It's manual laborers or laborers or workers or any or whoever. Even uh, what what's his name uh, um, Spencer is he's a criminal but he's cleaned up white guy except for his ring which sinks him but but he he's he's not like a quote-unquote thug he's not face tattoos and i don't know i guess maybe who knows i don't know clearly he's a criminal he's breaking another house but and then we've got age we've got children and uh i guess trying to think with with gender i mean there's a little bit with with uh Alice and there, but there's also a little bit with the older sister, fool's sister. What's fool's sister's name? Uh, Ruby. So it's, it's not, how about this again for 1991? It really, I feel like avoids a caricature of uh, Ving Rhames. What's his name? Leroy. Oh, well, you know, these caricature black guys go to break into this house and they discover all this and, and the horror happens, you know, uh, or it could have played out very much like a don't breathe where it's bubble. It's all in the house. 
it's it's us versus them and they're they didn't have to have the the context and the story and these other more uh complicated or different axes of of inequality that were that were filled in and yes like you said that was all done in like the first and last five minutes of the movie <laughs> or like 90% of it was some, some significant majority was done, but it was still done. It was still in there. It was still left in there. And oh, yeah, uh, I mean, and yeah. it wasn't just done. It was the point of the film. Yeah. I mean, right. Right. Clearly the entire like plot structure of the film was based around that, which is amazing. And, and don't forget the police, right? You have the right. whole interaction between the police and the white family and the police showing up and eating cookies and thinking, Oh, well, of course there's nothing wrong with you because you're white. And, right. Oh, those people, you know, yeah, you must be worried about people, you know, coming in and breaking into your house. I mean, it was, it was, it was funny in a way watching it and thinking about doing the podcast. Cause on the one hand I thought like, Oh, this is like, we dig for messaging sometimes. And this is first of all, so old. And secondly, throwing all this messaging right in our laps. Like it's not even, you don't have to look for it. It's just there. But at the same time, the, the part that I'm like struggling in terms of conversation around it is that it didn't, yeah, that most of the film was kind of vacant. I mean, the messaging was like great. And they, it was clear. It wasn't like, oh, maybe it wasn't there or it, they made it. But then they just, I don't know what they could have done to make those middle pieces all tie into the overall argument better. And I, I guess they probably could have done more. I don't know. You're right. Like the scene looking down at the at the lights and saying, oh, you can see the ghetto and like that kind of stuff. Maybe that just needed to be weaved in there more because so much of it felt like filler. Yeah, it, it did. And so much of it just was filler. I, I think we can save that. It's, we can say that safely with adding the layer of the, the actual people under the stairs being workmen and I don't know, whoever else had come to their door that that did add a layer there it was interesting that the people under the stairs were were redeemable i mean obviously roach who that's an interesting twist of all this suspense is built up around okay these people are creepy but we don't know if it they're for a while then we don't know how twisted they are versus are they being i mean especially with the title are they like subject to the threat of the people under the stairs or whatever these noises are is that what's making them do this and then we find out that that there is a a a good person under the stairs roach who has escaped but still seems very threatening until until we find out that that he's not a zombie he's had his tongue cut out and so we have that initial divide set up of, oh, well, maybe he's the good person under the stairs who's escaped. And then at the end, we have the fool go back and it's like, no, it wasn't just him. All these folks have just been trapped and brutalized and, you know, I don't know, fed human meat or whatever is whatever caused them. But but that there's that moment where he's like, oh, you could still go outside. And they're like kind of realizing, oh, yeah, our, our, we could come back from this. But yes, it's still it was still a lot of filler. I wonder if you would if they'd cut I don't know, 20 minutes how the how much that would feel like an overall improvement. I think it would feel like more than I think it would feel like they'd cut more. I think it would the overall effect would be greater than the some of the cuts. 
But yes, I also agree. There's, I'm sure there's room where the ideology could have been driven out further. I'm almost tempted to, to try to turn it in the direction of a revenge film. Because I think setting up, setting up the villains as they are, which are really abnormal villains, even now, you know, 25 years later, this is still not something that really happens very often in horror. And especially from like a major horror name who's putting this out. But the advantage of revenge, I guess, is that you get to, you get to sort of play around in that argument longer. And I, I wonder if they should have done that, if they should have turned it and not just had, you know, we, we, had, we had the people who we wanted to win, win at the end. But it might have been kind of neat if I don't know if we had if we had to if if we had to either see the villains face what they had done or choose not to face what they had done. Say say some more about that because she tries to ignore literally and figure, figuratively what they've done when she shuts the door on Ruby when they come when she comes to confront her with the uh, the older cat. I don't know if we ever got his name. Who who assesses the coins for uh for fool and before before the rest of the community shows up so the the woman is still like get out of here i don't need to listen to you and uh and it's a um they're forced into judgment and judgment by the community not by the police or by the system it is so in that way it's very is candy band before or after this how's that for a Interesting question. Because Candyman is also a community justice finale. Spoiler. Candyman is 92. So that's interesting. So these are both uh, both horror films with much more of a prominent racial theme than vast majority, particularly then, of horror films. And both end up with a, a community judgment of the wrongdoing uh, and a public one that's interesting or that's potentially interesting (laughs) uh so say what you more about how you think that that didn't necessarily happen so i guess when someone's doing something wrong they can choose not to have empathy for the people that they're hurting and we certainly saw that in this film but I do think one thing that's appealing about the revenge genre is that when you turn the tables and you take the villains who are doing something wrong, who are choosing not to have empathy, and you put them in a position where they have to experience pain, there's something, I think, first of all, redeeming for the audience in that. The audience can just enjoy watching them be forced into that empathetic position that they're like refusing to go into. But also you can get a little bit deeper into the, I guess, moral argument around their perspective and and wanting them to really face what's actually happening when you see their reactions, when you see their reaction to their own suffering and that, you know, by blowing up the house at the end, we don't really get to see that with our villains. We don't, we don't get an arc for our villains. They're just villains throughout. And then at the end, we, from the perspective of the audience, like we know that they were the villains. Yay. We're glad they're gone and money flies up into the air, which was, almost too on the nose really for what they were trying to get at, but whatever. (laughs) From the perspective of the mob, what should have happened happened, but we never really got to see the arc for the villains. There was no arc for the villains. I guess the villains were just villains straight out. And, and I'm, and I'm mostly thinking in terms of deepening the argument that it would have given us a, a sort of second piece to that argument. We could have, we could have dealt with their perspective a little bit. And I don't know what would have even been best to do with that. Maybe it's just cathartic to punish them and have them never, 
see the light. Maybe you want to see them beg, you know, I, I mean, all the directions those revenge films can go. I think there's, there's something there. There's some piece of the argument that you're dealing with that I guess just could have given them a little bit more fodder here. Yeah, that's fair. And that's fair. I think the film gets a little bit of leniency because, because the villains are suburban, white, hetero, upper class, lower upper class. And that's very unusual, especially in the horror genre. I'm trying to think when we started to get, when, when in the genre we started to get more of those, oh, maybe it is the, maybe it is the normals who are the sick folks. And I think it is around this late eighties, early nineties. I mean, I know the Burbs is horror comedy, but that's 89, which is also, although no, in that film, the, the weird neighbors end up being the criminals. So that doesn't really work. Parents. That's a film that also has the, that's 89. So that's very interesting. Um, so there's some sort of maybe possibly some sort of shift here of let's let's reevaluate if the if the normals, if the hegemonic folks are actually as innocent and as and as victimized as everyone else, which so 88 is end of end of Reagan and, and Bush senior comes in 88 to 92. OK. So I don't know what that means, but maybe that's something starting to shift back there of in response to eight years of of Reagan and Bush blaming urban, whatever, poor ghetto black and brown folks for everything and anything that is happening in America. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just brainstorming here, really. But yes, they, these were villains. The only thing I will say about the villains is it was something where they weren't progressive is it was clearly a, they, they were a, a sexual, they were sexual deviants. They had the gip suit, they had their brother and sister, and they clearly have some sort of additional romantic or sexual connection. We don't ever like see them kiss, but she calls him, I think she calls him maybe daddy or something at some point. And so they were still, they were still sexual deviants. So there was that piece of it. But other than that, everything that they do is hegemonic and particularly maybe in 91, you had to have something to really signal to the audience other than we're exploiting all these folks for money that, that they are, are not okay. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, certainly. I was, I was looking for stuff like that for sure. Like what went in the bad box with them and sexuality was absolutely in the box for sure. I, I just want to reiterate, I guess, something that you've just said, which on the one hand seems obvious. And on the other hand, I think deserves reinforcing after, especially after like the supernatural films that we've just done. So I think there really is a big shift here from slasher films and from supernatural films in the sense that the threat is not coming from the outside and then encroaching on this idyllic suburban nuclear family. We have a real flip here because we've really got the threat is coming from the inside. And I mean, literally on the inside, because it's inside the house, like you can't get out of the house. People want to get out and can't get out. And so that's really different. I mean, it's just a really, really, really different conception of what we're afraid of, like where that fear is coming from and who the threat is. And maybe 
on the one hand, you might expect that because you have a, a sort of strong dominant perception of what's going on in the field. And, and maybe you would expect then there to be counter arguments being made, but like, that's cool. It's cool. And it, it didn't stick, I guess, or these still seem like outliers. I suppose that's an interesting point that, you know, this was quite a long time ago and it seems groundbreaking by today's terms, but like, like the majority of what is produced in the genre, I would say still has the threat coming from the outside to a much more standard, like nuclear family idyllic situation where we're the in-group and this is coming from out there to get us. And so it really does seem to be unique when you have a film like this where the threat comes from the inside. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, Laura. That's so great. And to further emphasize that, we have been watching films like Conjuring, Insidious, Poltergeist. Well, we watched Saw because we were watching a bunch of James Wan. But those other films that are our haunting slash possession kind of films are more specifically what Laura is emphasizing. And I really like here, or what I really even wanted to further emphasize from what you're saying is not only is the threat coming from the inside, but it's, there's nothing fantastical happening. It's people doing things to other people. There's no, spirit world or demon or possessed whatever there's nothing else it's it's these people are doing this and they're doing it for money and it's that's really interesting too in terms of geography like you said we've we've had these films that are very okay the with conjuring the area is spoiled from witch trials and whatnot. And then particularly the house was, was corrupted. Insidious was a person, right? Was the boy was the one who was targeted for some reason. I think they wanted his body because he could travel out of his body and then people. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and poltergeist is a, the land is spoiled and that creates a space but it's a very clear inside outside and this the villains are threatened from the outside anyone who comes to the house who's not them and their solution is not to just barricade themselves inside but they take the evil that's inside and put it further inside so they're in this like donut of kind of safety right where they've got these people trapped in their <laughs> basement <laughs> that are that they see as threats that the the man and woman see as evil from their perspective and they also see anybody who comes to the door on their property as a threat as well so they're so that, that's just really interesting because it's it's inside and outside and that would seem to have some interesting implications because because why uh well, I, I love what you're saying. I just want to jump in and say that it's really, it's it's delegitimizing the threat that films like The Conjuring and Insidious and all these other films that we've seen are highlighting. They're elevating this threat of something coming in from the outside. And in this film, it's not just that they're ignoring it. It's not just that, the oh, the threat's on the inside this time. It's that the people on the inside are afraid of the threat from the outside. And in some ways it's justified in the sense that like, oh, people actually are trying to break into their house. Yet that's not the threat, like the, the, the ideology of the film is such that that just gets pushed aside as like, who cares? 
I mean, kind of, kind of like, was that insidious where you were saying that like, oh, the healthcare issue right. and like the cost of this kid's medical stuff. It's like, ah, who cares? We're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> right. right. But like this film pushed aside the threat from the outside and it's like, oh, that doesn't even matter in this context. So it, like it really shoots down exactly the fear that these other films are targeting. And I mean, I would say with slasher films as well, right? We have, I mean, when I think of the eighties, I think of slasher films. And so we've got this huge stretch of those types of films. We've got, you know, not to, I'm painting with way too broad a brush here, but recently we've been looking at these supernatural films that are more recent and saying, we've got this sort of huge swath of that same kind of threat here. And so it's, it's really jumping in and just saying, yeah, we don't care. That's not the, that's not what you should be afraid of. And that's not what matters. And so we're not just going to ignore it, but we're going to include it in the film and then also just push it aside as like, it doesn't even make any difference that these people were breaking in. They were justified in doing so because of socioeconomic reasons and whatever, who cares? Here's the real threat. That's a, a really big, it's not just a flip. It's like a flip and a shooting down of the other yeah. side. And that's cool. It is. And I think it's crucial that they take the pains to to make clear that the only reason that these people are trying to break into their house in the first place is because of the plight that they themselves have created. They've brought it upon themselves. They are not randomly targeted victims from people who are poor and desperate. It is, you were greedy. This particular couple was greedy, was excessive, was exploitative, and led to the living conditions that produced folks who were desperate enough to need to seek out some sort of recourse or, or to or to feel like they needed to seek out this particular recourse and and were presented with an opportunity where they themselves could be targeted. And they make a specific point of they make a very specific point of you know when they're talking in the kitchen there in the very early on, it's these are the people. It is these folks. It is not just like some rich white family or some I don't, whoever, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't necessarily have to do that to make it a, a very direct connection. And that's, again, that's a further deconstruction. I think like you're saying where they're not just flipping it, they're dismantling it. And unlike, or where things like insidious just ignored these structural conditions that would have here, they actually fold the structural conditions back into the, the creation of the issue itself uh, or of the plot itself, which again, it's like you said, it's funny because it's so simple. It's done so quickly. And yet it's, it really does pay dividends in despite that simplicity or maybe as a, because of that simplicity. First of all, all of this is great. And they really went to pains to make sure that their argument was clear. Like you said, when they're sitting around talking at the breakfast table about what's going on, it's like, here's why what we're doing is like entirely morally justified. It's directed at exactly the right people. We've got, you know, a sick person. We've got, we can't pay the rent, but it's not even just that we can't pay it. It's just that we were three days late and now we could pay it, but we like would have to pay triple because it's this totally unfair law or, you know, rule that's written into the lease. And so they, they, went to great lengths to make sure that that was totally laid out for us, which is awesome. I think my complaint really might just be that the rest of the movie wasn't that good. <laughs> like the parts that weren't ideology were weak. And it, it did, it kept for me having this Home Alone vibe. It just, it got silly in ways that I wish it weren't silly. And 
I mean, just so many times. I mean, when starting right at the beginning, when they break into the house and fool does the, the move with the dog where he like goes into the doorway and jumps up and holds himself up and the dog runs through and he slams the door or whatever. It just things that didn't seem like they would work. And what's his name? Was that Leroy? His, the guy that he was broken into the house with yes. he's attacked by the dog, but he's somehow miraculously like not injured, even though he's being attacked by a Rottweiler for like five minutes. And it's just little things like that kept happening that were just silly. And then the chase scene sometimes got to be silly in the same kind of way. And, and, you know, me, like you put a 20 minute chase scene in a film, I'm just not going to be on board anyway. But in, in addition to not really being on board, there was, what was that one film? Every time I think of chase scenes, there was one film we saw that had a good chase scene. I can picture it. I, I, we don't have to go here now, but it's like people running through a hallway. It was like all white. And there was like maybe a couple and they were like adversaries somehow. And I, it was good. It was, it was like a good chase scene I've seen ever. Do you know what I mean? Was Invisible Man? I don't know. I don't know. All right. I won't, I won't go there. There's a very clear image in my head of this chase scene, but whatever. It just, the rest of the movie was not great. And I mean, even at the end when like full blows the house up, it was so confusing because it's like he steps behind one little wall. He like blows everything up, steps behind a wall. Somehow he's like fine, I guess. Everybody at the entire house blows up. I mean, like multiple floors of the house above him are blowing up, but somehow stepping through that tiny little doorway, I guess was fine. And then the people under the stairs were, I mean, I guess they were creepy. It was dated. So it's hard to, I want to give them a little bit of credit for that, but even so those characters didn't really come together and the money blowing out of the house at the end was great in terms of ideology, like way to hit your point home at the end, but it's just all the rest wasn't very good. (laughs) No, the rest is kind of a mess. It's not good. And it does devolve into almost camp territory or whimsical territory, which really feels odd. Like you said, some of those, some of the pieces there make me think of much more of like a Goonies vibe. Absolutely. Yes. It felt like a kid's film. Yeah. Often, aside from like some really dark scenes that were actually fairly impressive. I mean, when, what's his name? What's uh, the daddy? <laughs> I think the, according to IMDb, they're just man and woman or mommy and daddy. Oh, all right. So when daddy's down in the basement in his full-on leather outfit and he's tearing apart Leroy's body, that was good. I mean, I, I hate to say that just the darker something gets, the more invested I am. But for a moment right there, I was like, wow, this film like has some potential for substance. I think because it it was so emotionally impactful. And, you know, I'll, I'll say again, what we've said many times, the argument they're making is a really emotionally impactful, very important argument. And so if they can like draw that sort of dread out of you as an audience, I think that really aligns with what they're trying to get across. And in that moment, which is probably a at least half, if not two thirds of the way through the film, I thought, wow, I wonder if this is going to redeem the whole first part, the whole like weird home alone, almost like Disney vibe. It kept getting every once in a while. Maybe now it's, it's like, it's getting there. It's like getting to what it's at. And it really didn't, it came back out of it. But that scene I thought was, it was good. It was good because it was dark because it made me stop and think, oh my God, like I, which is exactly what you should feel. That's the right emotion to have with the argument that they're making. Macaulay Culkin swinging through a doorway on a rope or something is not the right emotion to have when you're talking about racial and socioeconomic inequality. And so that's, there we go. <laughs> I, think, I think 
I just hit on my complaint. Yeah. That seems wrong. But like the way I felt in that moment with daddy, like tearing Leroy's body apart and eating it was exactly right. That is where the film should have hung out for the entire thing. That could have been a spectacular film. Yeah. I, I think that's very well put. I agree. It did do that. And I think we have in the past judged other films for taking that kind of inappropriate tone to topics that deserve more seriousness or more, more something. And well, it makes me think of like the comedian episode from the twilight zone where we were arguing that, you know, it'd be so much better as horror because if you skip the horrific elements and you just gloss over that, then it's not, you're not doing the argument justice, but it's funny in this one, because I feel like if we had talked to the people involved in the film, they might've said, Oh, we were that chase scene was supposed to be scary. So it, it just wasn't like, it wasn't effective, but I, I felt like they were trying to make it be. I felt like there were two. And I thought about that as well. And I thought about, I thought about the music and if the music was part of that, cause there were, the music was at times, or the, the score was at times was good. And again, we know this is, in this case, it's almost working against Wes Craven that this is Wes Craven because we know that he can make a film that holds a serious tone and a scary tone. And so this were a more novice filmmaker, we could make some allowance for that. But I agree with you that I've, I feel like it was mostly supposed to be scary. I really do. And I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly. I think uh, for those who don't remember, haven't listened, Wes Craven's really an absolute favorite horror director of mine. And I don't want to let him off the hook, but I do want to say when you're making... I think it is somewhat justified to give Craven a little bit of credit when he is, or a little bit of leniency when he's making a film that is so different, even though he's a established filmmaker, he is treading ground that is very new. And so how to fine tune that, in terms of tone or maybe he didn't have control over the music or who knows. Uh, I think there, there's a little bit of allowance to be made. It's just such a different film from anything that's out there. So I don't know. I don't know, Laura. I would also just really enjoy the opportunity to complain about some things. Sure. Complain the- away. Right yeah. For, just Do for it. fun. Sure. <laughs> so there was absolutely totally weird behavior of the people breaking into the house right from the start. I didn't even really understand why they would have thought that the people necessarily in the house would have been gone. Like it should have been scary walking into the house. Cause I guess you saw the woman leave, but you don't really, I mean, it's not like they've been casing the place for a really long time. Like they don't really know if anybody else lives there or what's going on. So they were very nonchalant about just like wandering into the house and breaking it down. And that was confusing. And then when the woman comes back and we now know that, I don't remember his name, but the first guy who went in is dead. There was like not enough alarm. 
Bull just seemed not concerned enough, especially for being a child, but just in general, not concerned enough about all of that. So I was like, I was on board with our main characters in theory, but I like could not emotionally relate even from the beginning. All of the like Home Alone antics were totally bizarre. The people under the stairs and Alice, and I guess Alice and Roach, I suppose are who I mean, were like really weirdly emotionally well-adjusted for having gone through what they went through. It's like, you're like a totally normal person who like just happens to have been through this horrible upbringing. (laughs) I would like to have seen a little bit more dysfunction in them because I found that really unbelievable to the point of just being kind of silly. The people under the stairs themselves, I don't understand why they turned so much into animals and so much into some weird zombie facial, like, okay, it's dark, whatever. (laughs) They (laughs) They were just made up to be something goofy that totally threw me off. The whole like S&M vibe was not necessary. There was no reason to have daddy have his whole leather situation going on. And I mean, maybe it looked kind of cool. I don't know. It just, that was really problematic. All of those things mixed together to just, they were just silly and wrong. They like messed with the mood and the tone and what the film should have been. And they were so prevalent throughout the whole thing. I mean, even up to the end with, like I said, the, the, Oh, apparently, like, if you blow up dynamite, but step, like, two feet away through a doorway that's not even shut, you're totally fine, but the rest of the house is totally going. And we can assume the villains are gone, but, like, I I don't know. And then the money blowing up. It it just, it was silly. It was silly. And all of those things were so wrong. I just, and I wanted Alice to be more messed up somehow. Like, she was totally fine. She just could have, like, a completely normal conversation. And I did not understand why. She cried. She, it, it's a mess. The film is actually, the film is actually pretty much a mess, except for the first and last like five minutes. Uh, <laughs> the first five minutes were great. I started it when I texted you and said like, "Oh, this is such a great pick." It was like, "Oh, cool! <laughs> this is going to be awesome." The first five minutes were spectacular, and the messaging was great. It really was. How cool to have that be the villain. Right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yes. I, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that has how the film has always been. It's always been odd, especially watching it again. I remembered, I don't think even at the time it that felt necessary or reasonable or these excessive chases and padded filler was was what films were doing how popular was it do you know i i don't i mean it was i think the heyday of of the horror genre for teenagers was waning by by early 90s in particular right and then by it was there was just exhaustion we were at what were we at we were at like number five with Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and we were, things had gotten to be sort of campy and ridiculous with the sequels. And I don't know, let's look at where, where where's Friday the 13th by, when is this, 91? Friday the 13th is, is in part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan by 89. So <laughs> things are getting thin. <laughs> So this would have been, which I think maybe also explains some of the, like I was saying, the the dark comedy kind of parents and the burbs and 
there was something else that was anyway, people were trying to do some different things and 91. And then I, you know, it really wasn't until scream came out there. Yeah. New nightmare got, got some recognition, but I really don't think it was scream till it came out. And what, what'd we say? 97, 94. Scream came out in 94? Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were saying um, New Nightmare. No, New I Nightmare was saying... Before. Yeah, I think you're right. Scream was 97. 96. So oh. I think this was really at the beginning of the bottom of when horror had just been used up. It just been it just been used up. We were at Jason Takes Manhattan, right? We The film industry had wrung the joy out of at least the slasher slashers. I don't know. Why, why do you ask about popularity? I kind of got rambling there instead of answering your question. I hesitate to get on board with your argument about, about it being used up because I think the fact that we're still here talking about all of these films, you know, 30 years later, like there's plenty to do. But no, popularity, I was just, I guess I was wondering because it, I feel like the asset it carries is its political statement. The rest of the film is not, a, just not a very good film. And being in service of that statement is really notable and interesting. So I don't know, I'd be curious how it did relative to other films of equally vacant execution. <laughs> like did the political statement help it or hurt it? That's what I'm curious about. And I see it like its budget was 6 million roughly and it made 24 million. It wasn't a, a failure, but do you know how that ranks kind of relative to other, maybe New I'm, Nightmare we should look at. I'm looking at, well, I'm looking at- I like right. New Nightmare. Uh, New Nightmare is phenomenal. I'm just saying it was it was a blip in an otherwise pretty vacant genre at the time. The genre was particularly at least the slasher genre was more or less dead from 92 to till Scream with the exception maybe of New Nightmare. Terminator 2 made 200 million dollars in 1991. Wow. Um, but okay, so here. New Nightmare New Nightmare had an 8 million dollar budget and only made 18. Okay. Uh, and so this did better. This had six and made 24. This is very interesting to me. Silence of the Lambs came out in 91. Oh. But other than that, Cape Fear. So these very like high concept drama horror films. And those are the two. Dead Again, another high concept drama horror thriller. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, earned 34 million. So that was, there was still still some juice there. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. This, I was going to mention that. I don't particularly remember that. People Under the Stairs ranked 57 in box office for 1991. Above Misery, below Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Okay, so its message probably didn't hurt it. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean that itself is interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What else? What else we got, Laura? Should we grade it? Is there more to Yeah, I think about? so. I mean, I think that that might be about it, huh? Just so this is the point of the sh- of the podcast where we take an overall big picture view of the film and what it contributes or doesn't to uh, social and moral positive conversation and grade it. We both still teach sociology classes, so so grading is is a lot of what we do. Okay, so let's grade it. Great messaging, cruddy execution. <laughs> Not even no good execution of the messaging, just cruddy execution of everything else. I don't know. What's that? 
Be honest. It's funny because if the filler were, if the filler didn't have the bizarre, inappropriate, whimsical kind of tone, I wouldn't penalize it as much. I, I think the tone of it bothers me more than the length of it. It's the tone of some of it. What'd you say? B minus? Maybe. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Cause I think that's right on. Um, it could be excusable if it weren't for the fact it detracts from the message of the film because, or it detracts from the emotional tone of the message. Like it, the, the message should feel a certain way. I think it should feel how it felt when daddy was in the basement tearing up Leroy. Yeah. And that that was a unique moment in the whole film in terms of tone. Well, and it should feel like it did in the in the apartment in the beginning where Fool is looking at his sick mother and and Leroy is telling him, look, you better toughen up or you're going to be out on the street watching your mother die and your sister prostitute herself and you're eating beans out of a can or whatever he says. And then at the end where the community shows up and is like, you are the people who have decimated our situation. And it's like you said, it's not just, you're not just raising rent. You're trying to force people out so you can gentrify the neighborhood. (sighs) But I was, I felt like you said, it was, they were Roach and Alice were in a, were oddly well adjusted, but I did feel for Alice. She, she sobs, she screams when she gets put in the tub. She's obviously figured out as much as she can how to try and cope and just walk this line of, of the see no, speak no, hear no evil. So those moments felt very serious. They just didn't maintain it. I, I don't want to exonerate or I don't want to excuse it. I don't, again, I, I do wonder about the, the score, if that would have helped. The score and some editing doesn't matter. Craven was still wrote and directed the film and and you, you get the credit and the blame when you're the auteur. So I'm actually still inclined to give it at least a B just because it's such a, even still today, it's such a under-discussed, under-explored topic. Or it's got a cast of characters that are, you know, more diverse. We've got old folks we've got young folks we've got a whole range of people there's just so much there's so much that that was so that's such a outlier in positive ways for the genre and yeah the tone was off but they never the tone did undermine some things but but the actual events of the film the plot and the characters they never backed off you know i'm just starting to edit the lodge and we talked about the lodge never stakes a claim. They never take a position and, and hold it. Even if this film loses some, some points for, for tone, they ne- you know, tone is not exactly as easy as to control as script or, and, and yeah. So I don't know. I'm, so I'm going to stick with a B. I just am. I, I, there's, there's so much going for it in terms of the, the messaging execution is yeah, real rough <laughs> to put it mildly, but uh, still, uh, but I could see you going lower. Uh, that would, that would be, that wouldn't, 
I think honestly, I'm penalizing it because of what it could have been. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it, right. I mean, rarely, (laughs) maybe I should say it this way. We're often hand waving away some really egregious messaging for the (laughs) sake of, well, I mean, (laughs) it wasn't that bad. (laughs) At least it did this, or at least it did that. In this case, we've got very little to hand wave away, honestly, which is a really notable achievement. And especially for as long ago as it was, it's just that it could have been so much better. It could, you know, it could have been something really great. And I, I mean, I certainly can't give it an A. I, maybe I could go as high as a B, but I just want it to be so good. I, I want it to, I want it to the entire film to carry the tone that we had that moment in the basement with, what's his name, with daddy. That's what I want. Sure. I want that film. Cause that would have been, that could have been spectacularly great. Sure. Yes. Now see this for all the films that we watch that are reboots and remakes that are totally unnecessary and are profoundly worse than their original. This I feel like is a film you could actually remake and it would be worth it or it would, it would make sense to remake it because there's clear, there's clear strategies for how you would remake it that would improve it without fundamentally changing the film. And we have, for those who are interested, we've done episodes on Pet Cemetery and It and something else I thought we did that was a remake that have just been, oh, The Doctor Sleep. That's not really a remake, but it's it's a totally unnecessary film that's just built on trying to capitalize on the success of of some the shining or whatever film from 30 years ago but those films that but those films don't need to be remade or don't need to have sequels because they still hold up and they still work and particularly with things like pet cemetery the remake just ripped out the the heart of the film and the and not in a good way or an entertaining way and this is actually a film I think you could. Here's this concept. Here's this idea. Here's these characters. Let's let's work on the tone. Let's update it a little bit to a modern era. And I, I think there's actually a lot of compelling reason why you would or could remake this film and have it really, really work. Oh, we should do it, Marshall. That's such a good idea. Because all you would have to do is take the like silly chase scenes and anything that has a Home Alone vibe and replace it by like genuinely dark. Like that'd be fun to play with because the ideology is already sitting there. The structure's already there. So I think even more so than like, if we were going to write a film just from scratch about racial and economic inequality, it would feel like a cop-out to just have there be long stretches that were like essentially just chase scene in some form. But I think if it was still people under the stairs, you didn't want to deviate too much from the overall structure. It could give you some real fun leeway to just play around with like, how dark can that get? Like how, how dark can those chase scenes get that they will keep people's interest and actually be unique and interesting. That would be really fun. That'd be really fun. I agree. And I think you could make the people under the stairs you could have some comments there on instead of having them be sort of like you said, these zombie folks, you could just have them be basically disabled by the brutality of the couple and have there be this um, sort of commentary on some, some of the ways that we stigmatize people with disability or, 
or maybe they some of them have been disfigured and in movies if you're or in so many movies if you're ugly or you're disfigured or you're somehow disabled you are a criminal or you should be you're suspicious and you could kind of play with that i think they kind of had that idea to do that in this film where fool is scared of them and they kind of seem like a threat and they kind of are a threat but they're they're only really a threat because they're so desperate and downtrodden again you could polish you could refine and work with a lot of that in ways that again would make sense to remake because this film had the raw material there, but did not refine it. And so many of these other films had both the raw material and were well done. And they're still trying to remake it. And they're unnecessary because again, that the first film is already done and this, it doesn't feel done. It's not done. It's, it's yeah. Shit. We could just, you could probably just re just edit. Like I said, you could rescore it and, and edit, I don't know, whatever, 20 minutes. What do we say? A hundred minutes long edit. It'd be 80 minutes. 80 minutes is long enough for a movie. And I think that would improve it hugely just outright. But yes, then you could, you could do some things with, with Roach and with Alice and with maybe they have to have them. Well, one, and I complained about this with Midsummer or Hereditary. Now that I'm thinking about it, you could have had something more symbolic happen with Alice's dolls that could be somehow more indicative of something or something. There's potential there to have something, but you could also have there be, you could have there maybe be some more, some more suspicion on the part of Alice or Roach of fool or Alice could maybe uh, at first see fool as a threat and maybe reveal him or, show mommy and daddy here's where he was be a traitor to him because she's so worried about if she doesn't she would be punished and then her come to realize oh no he's actually the good the hero he oh for sure yeah and i think i mean being raised in that household too i think to have her initially be racist would have made more sense oh yeah than how she wasn't and he even approaches her that way he's like hey haven't you ever seen a black kid like right but she doesn't seem to know what he's talking about. That's a real missed opportunity. And yeah, I got just ratchet up, ratchet up the horror. Right. I would want to make it as, as brutal, make it as painful to watch as a film addressing that ideology should be. And that would just be fun. That'd be, right. I, I, I totally want to do this with you, Marshall. Like, that would be <laughs> fun to write. Oh, for sure. How painful can we make it? And not, not just for the sake of making people suffer, although maybe there's a little part of me that would just enjoy that. <laughs> but like, it's the right tone. It's the right tone for that film to have. So like, how fun would that be to play with? Just, there's yeah. a lot to work with there. There's yeah. a lot to work with. You're right. Infusing ideology in the places where it could go. And I think you've raised a lot of good points where it could have been put in and wasn't. And then just, just really up the difficulty to watch the film. <laughs> right. Level. If, the, if the chase were like them level, the film them, the French film, then you would have a totally different film. <laughs> It'd be great. It could be great, honestly. Oh, I like it. I like it. Uh, it's really interesting. I wonder if anybody's considered. Well, if we ever get a chance to pitch a film, maybe Laura, maybe that's that's something we should pitch. It'd be so much fun. I would just love to write it with you. I bet we could kill it. We could just film it ourselves. 
Oh yeah, we probably could. We could film it in your basement. We got a nice under the stairs. We could use my basement for the under the stairs. Maybe if you buy a older home, that could be the the top part. <laughs> I kind of want to do this. <laughs> It'd be well, fun in like so many different levels. You know? Keep that in mind when you're home shopping, Laura. Okay. <laughs> We need a movie set. <laughs> uh, so where'd you end up on? What was your final grade? Bad. I, you know, I said B minus. I guess I should probably bump it to a B because you're, I mean, you're, you're right that the ideology is super standout notable. I am. I just, I want to penalize it for what it could have been, especially now that we're having this conversation. It could have yeah. been so cool. It'd be so fun to write. It'd be so fun. So fun. Yeah. A B B minus. I have whatever. I mean, I did. <laughs> I'm just I'm disappointed it's not an A and it could have uh, been an A. <laughs> and now I just want to make it an A. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I feel that totally. The, the potential is so so clearly there. And I think it makes it even more tempting to to penalize it for wanting to be there because it's from a filmmaker who we would want to to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he made it, he, he made the A before and he, he made the A again and he just missed it this time. I just want to say one other thing. Yeah. This reminded me of the conversation that we had when we did that showing of, was that scream in the dorms? Mm-hmm. Was that scream? And the kids in the audience were I felt like they were really arguing that horror was, or this type of horror was very outdated. Oh, that's, yeah, it's not really scary. It's kind of silly. And this is just something like super old that people used to watch. And we might watch it because it's kind of silly, but nobody is watching it to be scared. Like it's just one of those films. And like, those aren't really relevant now. And this just, it had such a strong vibe of that to me. I mean, it felt outdated possibly even for the time, but I think it was outdated in exactly the way that those students were highlighting. Oh, it's just kind of silly. You don't really believe it. It's not really scary. It's so sad because I still hang on to the fact that this is an art form and a genre that has the ability to be really impactful and really cool. And it just, for such a good message, it's just, it it does. It feels like a, a really dated and lacking in exactly the way those students were highlighting kind of film. And that even more so just makes me want to redo it because I don't think it has to be. I think you can still use this genre as a vehicle for really great messaging in ways that those students weren't used to seeing because they were used to seeing crappy, older, really popular horror films that all kind of fall into that, that same category. But. Okay. We, this is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We appreciate you listening. Horror films are our collective nightmares. Welcome. This is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith. And uh, actually, I'm going to adjust this a little bit. Welcome. This is the Collective Nightmare. Welcome. This is the Collective Nightmares. Oh, my God. Why can't I get that? And maybe the president will make us secretaries of podcasting. (laughs)
<laughs> uh, that's terrible, and we're not going to use that. But I, I got to say that was that was a line that I fully just laughed out loud at for quite a while. Maybe Spencer should stick his ugly head out and give us some kind of a signal. Maybe look it around a little bit. Make sure it's safe. Maybe the president is going to make me secretary of pussy. Now he's probably in there hiding the best for himself. We appreciate you listening. And our podcast is better than burning in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Do you got anything? (laughs) We're having a hard time this time. I mean... (laughs) I think I always have a hard time by comparison to you. I'm usually impressed with the gems that you pull out, Marshall. Uh, gems is, you know, loosely applied here. <laughs> Rocks of some sort. Right. <laughs> I'm having trouble. Uh, oh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we will speak, see, and hear evil. This place is weird. Oh, that's so good. I like that. But it doesn't work. I was trying to figure out how to make it work because we speak the evil and they will hear the evil. Hold on. So there's got to be a... We appreciate joining us. We'll speak the evil. You'll hear the evil. And neither of us will see the evil. We saw the film. Uh, We appreciate you joining us. And you can think of us as the podcast under the stairs. <laughs> Laura shakes her head vigorously. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's four. N- none of which are particularly good, but I don't know what else to say. Did you ever watch House Party, Laura? I don't think so. Oh, God. So sad. The sister in this film has a very memorable but small part in the film of House Party. And as soon as I heard her voice, I was like, oh, my God. Apparently, she's, she's in kind of a few things around this time. But, but I, I had never, I don't think I'd ever re- recognized her or thought of her as anything other than this, this small part in House party. Be right back. Be right. Kiss my ass. You want to take my equipment and leave me? No, no, I ain't going for it. No. What else can I do? Come here. Kick that bitch to the curb and let me ride with my equipment. I'm the DJ, man. Bitch? Who are you calling a bitch? Your mama's a sorry bitch. Hey, my mama ain't no bitch. If I'm a bitch, your mama's a bitch. Hey, I kick your ass. Hey, I fight a girl. All, all right, right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Listen, man, listen, man. I can't do that. It would be too cold. Looks like she was in A Nightmare on Elm Street 5 in 89. So it looks like Wes Craven. Oh, she's in The Lost Boys? Oh, so she, okay, never mind. She's been in some some stuff. That's my mistake. Oh, no, she's been in quite a few things I've seen. In Out for Justice, she was, quote, unquote, hooker who gets slapped around. <laughs> Uncredited. <laughs> Talk about a thankless role. All right, oh, I'm really off the rails here now. Uh, I was stalling until I could think of something else. Uh, that's just how it's going to have to be. I'll just use one of them and we'll just cringe and suffer through it. <laughs> I think that's fine. <laughs> All right. Oh, 
was fun. Yeah, I want to do something, something that feels currently relevant and good because this made me, it just made me think back to your students. It really did. And that sort of critique of horror and how old we are and how we're, <laughs> I don't know, like wedded to some dying genre or something, which I don't think is true. I don't think it has to be true. I don't know if that was even what they were saying, Laura. I think they were, I mean, they were saying that the film was dated and, and the, like the production, I think in particular, um, the production value was dated, which I get that. I, but I think, I think that's pretty normal to go through that phase, particularly around that age where you haven't really started to appreciate older content or older films or things that were done before the technology that you grew up with. And, but you're starting to get interested in that. I, I mean, I remember being, being young or being around that age and being like, I'm not going to watch some movie from the seventies or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the fact that it's not scary. Scary isn't like a level of appreciation, like, Oh, I'm willing to go dig in, you know? And there are some films certainly that I had that, I had that impression of because they were so old. And then I watched The Graduate and I watched Midnight Cowboy and like all these things that my dad had told me to watch a thousand years ago. And it's like, wow, those were really good films. And yeah, they were older, but they were great. But a horror film, I guess that's it. it a horror film carries itself on its ability to viscerally impact you and then do that in conjunction, you know, at least we would argue with a really good message. And so if the film has lost its ability to be scary, or like never had it in the first place. I don't know. I don't know if this was scary at the time. Certainly doesn't feel that way now. Then, then it's, it's dated. Like it's not going to have the punch that it used to have. And so I would like to watch something more recent that still has the ability to bring that fear in. I mean, not that it has to be recent, I guess. Well, you can pick whatever you want. I mean, it's definitely your pick. I'm not opposed to that. I still think that there is something to be said for this was a moment when I don't know if horror was really supposed to be or was was really supposed to be scary, or at least not all of it. This was, again, we're at Jason Takes Manhattan. These are more or less action films at this point. We've devolved into the, or maybe not devolved, but we, it's it's the era where, uh, who is it? I think it's Clover... Oh God, it's somebody. Dang it. I should know that. Somebody talked about at this point, it's the it's the style of the formula that's being that people are going to the films for. We know what's gonna happen. The fear isn't isn't really there so much as we're we're watching the the way things are being. We're we're looking at the style of the murders and the gore and the but the pretext for it and the real, like, you know, the odds of, or the idea of it really being scary. We're at a cheap thrill moment. And then, uh, right. And then we get Silence of the Lambs, which really took it back to a whole different level. But again, whether or not you want to call Silence of the Lambs actual horror is same with those others that I say, Kate Fear dead again. I don't know if any of those you would call horror. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, it's a detective thriller as much as it is a horror film, isn't it? Silence of the Lambs, IMDb genre is crime drama thriller, which presumably was far scarier than Jason Takes Manhattan. 
or this film. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to think for next week. I'm going to Okay, so you'll let me I know. I want something scary. This is a high bar. Scary but not scary in like the conjuring kind of scary. I mean maybe. <laughs> I want something like uh morally scary <laughs> and then and then appropriately viscerally scary also. That's a high bar. Martyrs. Let's watch Martyrs again. Uh, we're going to do that for our 100th, right? Are we? Again? Oh, yeah, I thought we were going to do the Meta Martyrs. I don't remember. Were we? What's the Meta Martyrs? I forgot. Meta Martyrs is we were going to do some version of like watching Martyrs again and then commenting on our first discussion of martyrs you know it'd be really funny as if we do that and we're like yeah that was about right (laughs) (laughs) yep cool (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i mean we could i don't think we will but that could happen well i'm open again it's definitely your pick we've more or less i think reached a segue point of we've kind of finished our house miniseries or we, it could totally, it could totally be done. So you, you could, I think you really have range to pick. That sounds fun. All right. That'll be cool. I don't know what I'm going to pick. Think about it. And, and maybe the president will make us secretaries of podcasting. Uh, that's terrible and we're not going to use that but I, I gotta say that was that was a line that I fully just laughed out loud at for quite a while do you get anything I'm having a hard time this time <laughs> I mean <laughs> I think I always have a hard time by comparison to you I'm usually impressed with the gems that you pull out Marshall <laughs> uh, gems is you know loosely applied here (laughs) rocks of some sort right (laughs) i'm having trouble Uh, oh um We appreciate you joining us. Uh, we will speak, see, and hear evil. No. Oh, that's so good. I like that. But it doesn't work. I was trying to figure out how to make it work because we speak the evil and they will hear the evil. Hold on. So there's got to be a... We appreciate you joining us. We'll speak the evil. You'll hear the evil and neither of us will see the evil. We saw the film. Oh, no. The... We appreciate you joining us. And you can think of us as the podcast under the stairs. Laura shakes her head vigorously.
well, that's four. N none of which are particularly good, but I don't know what else to say. Um, Laura, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I need to take a second. I gotta use the bathroom. You want? You mind? Okay, I'm gonna pet my cat's butt. Okay, do that. <laughs> I thought hippo wasn't allowed on the table. That was the old rule. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true cat owner. There. We we renegotiated. <laughs> what? So, oh yeah, I think you told me this. So his rules now are what the counters. Yeah. And that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The <laughs> counters and I moved everything else I didn't want him getting into because yeah. And the plants all have little spikes put in the dirt so that he can't get into them. Right. I remember the yes. Yeah. The kitty barbed wire or yes. whatever it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um and so yeah, uh, all right, and then back to move forward. And uh, fortunately, you know, he's gone. It would it'd be wonderful to be able to ask him. I wonder, I, I don't know, I, I haven't, I used to do that with, with writers a lot is I would, I would dig up interviews and, and um, that kind of thing with them, but not so much with filmmakers. I, that's something that you got to think Cravens was interviewed lots of times. Anyway, that's just, I'm just musing. That can all, that can all be cut. I don't know. It, it, in, in terms of like a future, what we should do next. I just, I would like to do something where the horror is an asset to the film's messaging. Cause that still exists. Sure. You know, where sure. the brutality plays a role that, cause I really do think that's horror strength. I think when it can just when it can just beat you with a message in a way that's really painful. <laughs> Why do I like it? I don't know. I do. I just think it's really, really, really good. It sure can be. I I completely agree with you. If those students had said that about this film, yes, I would have understood. The fact that they said it about Scream, I found to be cause to judge them as people. <laughs> I told you my student this fall, one of my students this fall said basically the same thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I was like, I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> Anyhow.